them to spread the gospel. Later that later today, uh, from 4 to 5.30, we're having a members meeting. This is for the members of the church. If you've gone through membership, we want you to come and uh, be able to discern and learn from some of the things that are taking place in our church. But for those who are interested in membership, the following week, so this is next week, starting on the 14th, we are going to be hosting a membership class. Be sure to look in the bulletin of the location. It is second service. We might have to change rooms because so many people are interested. Uh, So be sure to look at the updated room in the bulletin this week. And then that's a two-week class, so that'll be taking place. Also, some important things. If you're interested in shoeboxes and blessing a kid around the world with getting a shoebox full of gifts and important things for their uh, livelihood. We encourage you to pick up those shoe boxes. They're due back on November 21st. Uh, and then on the 23rd, so this is the Tuesday of the week of Thanksgiving, we're having a worship night. Church, we hope you come and to gather to worship Christ in spirit and in truth and to praise him for what he has done for us. So this is a worship night dedicated for thankfulness. So we hope you come and join us Tuesday night on the 23rd of this month to worship and praise together as a church. You also notice in there we are starting to search for a women's ministry director. Teresa has done a fabulous job, and I'm sad to see her go into children's ministry, uh, but she's going to do an awesome job taking care of our kids and leading that ministry. But we do want to hire a new woman for the women's ministry director position. So if you're interested, you'll see on our bulletin online some links to download the job description and a questionnaire, and then you'll send those to me. If you have questions or are interested in some way, contact me. love to talk to you about the position and the opportunity. Anyways, that's a lot of what's going on, church. We hope you are blessed in the Lord, and we can acknowledge him today in our worship, our praise, and our attitude. Have a great day. Well, good morning again. My name is still Daniel, and I'm still one of the pastors here. So as we gather this morning to exalt Christ together, we do so uh, in a freedom and with a security that many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not have. And we are incredibly grateful to the Lord for this blessing. Across the years, thousands of men and women have served in the armed forces with the desire to preserve and expand that freedom and security for the citizens of this nation and those around the world, frequently at great personal cost. Scripture encourages us to give honor to those who are are worthy of it. And as our nation honors veterans on the 11th of November, this morning we too want to honor those who have served And there's a reason that the sacrifices of American service members are so meaningful to us, as it in many ways is an echo of the sacrifice of Christ. It is the stronger serving the weaker. It is the more powerful defending the helpless. So if you are a veteran of the armed forces, would you stand for a moment and allow us to recognize and pray for you this morning? If you would continue if you would continue standing while we pray this morning, Lord God, we pray for the men and women who have served and are serving. We thank you for their hearts to defend that which is good and oppose that which is evil. We know that many have brought grim reminders of war and human suffering home with them, and we pray that you would ease their burdens and bring healing to them, mind and body. Help us to care well for them and for all those afflicted by war. And Lord, we long for the day that all humans bow before you, that swords are beaten into plowshares and war will be no more. 
Until then, we pray that you would work righteousness and justice among the nations, including our own. And we pray together, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, thank you. Can we give him one more round of applause? Now, would you all stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Our reading comes from Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would anoint us to hear your word in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus. God, we ask that you would transform our hearts and our minds now through the proclamation of the word. We ask for your anointing upon Pastor Jeff to proclaim the word in power to serve the church that we might glorify you better. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome, everyone. How you doing? Oh, I'm so encouraged to see every single one of your faces, and I'm always encouraged to hear uh, your voices singing to the Lord. That's you are the choir. You are the Christ Community Church Choir, and uh, you guys are amazing. Thank you for showing up and suiting up and getting in the game. If you want to follow along with today's message, you can grab this bulletin. Hopefully, you were given one when you come in. It's kind of the middle section there. And that's my outline for today, and you can, you can follow along with me. Uh, Paul, as we discovered last week, has testified already in Jewish court. And so as we discovered last week, he's, he's already given his sworn testimony. This whole court, this whole proceeding is kind of a sham. He's not guilty. There's no evidence against him. Now, in chapters 25 and 26, Paul is actually going to just repeat I mean, he is just going to go now through a series uh, of trials before Herod, before this new governor that comes in, Portius um, Festus. And so he is just going to be doing the same things. At the end of the day, Paul is acquitted. The verdict is there is no good evidence against him. But Paul appeals to Caesar anyway. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being dragged to court? And having the judge tell you, hey, listen, you can go free. Bye-bye. There's the door. And you're like, no, I'd, I'd like to go to the appeals court. Why? Because God has told him that he is going to testify before Caesar. So instead of reading you the story of his shipwreck on his way there today and his continued imprisonment, what I thought I would do is use a little bit of educated imagination and tell you the story. No test the, the apostle Paul 
ever encountered was more traumatic than the last of three shipwrecks he endured on his way to be tried before Caesar in Rome. Luke gives us a firsthand report in Acts chapter 27, which is where, where we'll be today. And that account stands for you and I as a powerful analogy of going through storms. The dockside guard stencils a number on his forehead and his hand. He belongs to Rome. Paul is marked for judgment as a prisoner to Caesar. And now he waits with the other inmates while the Roman centurion tries to secure a vessel. The trials before the Jewish court, Governor Porcius Festus and the festooned and pretentious pawn of Rome, King Agrippa II, have all brought Paul to this moment. He will defend himself and his gospel before Caesar. He will boldly proclaim his message to all the Romans in the Roman forum, but first he has to make it to Rome. First he has to get there in one piece. After the trial before Festus and Agrippa, Paul and his two traveling companions, Aristarchus and Luke, are turned over to a centurion of the Augustan division. His name, we learn, is Julius. And Julius commandeers a shabby Levantine freighter that is bound for ports along the Mediterranean coast. The centurion intends to take this vessel as far as he can up the coastline and then transfer the prisoners to the ship that is headed directly to Italy. The guard orders the non-citizen prisoners to board the ship, and they all shuffle, single file, in clinking chains across a tapered plank bridge. These prisoners are taken below deck, and they are shackled to timbers and anything else the guards can find to tie them. But Paul is a citizen prisoner. Because he's a citizen of Rome, he doesn't go below, and he doesn't stay in chains. Instead, he's allowed to freely roam the deck, and at least he has Julius's ear. The freighter puts out from the Caesarean port, and just like that, the sails flap and fill with a westerly breeze, and the ship heads for blue coastal waters. Everything looks good. And Luke simply says this in verse 7. He says, we made slow headway, though, for many days and, and had difficulty arriving in Canidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite of Salmoni, and we moved along the coast uh, with difficulty, and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of La Silla. Open water isn't an option this time of year. And so after a brief layover in Sidon, the ship tracks westward along the coastline and eventually lands at the port of Mira in Lycia. Julius transfers all the prisoners to this larger Alexandrian vessel. This vessel is full of corn, grain, spices from Africa, and they set sail for Italy. Against constant headwinds, the ship makes it to a port called Fair Havens on the coast of the Isle of Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean, and Paul warns the sailors and the soldiers, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and the cargo and to our lives as well. Julius ignores Paul and relies instead on the experienced appraisal of the captain and the crew. And they can either wait it out in the winter at Crete, a dangerous option in a defenseless harbor, or they can make a break for it and try to reach Phoenix. And they choose option two. The ship weighs anchor and heads across the Mediterranean toward Italy. <clears throat> Before long, they are caught in a violent northeaster storm, and they're driven way off course. For 14 terrifying and sleepless days, 
The ship pitches and yaws as the waves crash against the deck in sheets of white foam. And after abandoning most of the cargo overboard, the waterlogged crew reaches a point of utter, complete despair, and the worst is still to come. It's midnight, day 14, and they haven't seen the stars for days. The crew is beyond exhaustion. Morale is non-existent. These experienced mariners know their options all too well. The boat will either break apart at the seams and crash against the rocks or be driven inland and lodge in a mud flat or a shallow sandbar. And so they decide to take some soundings and experience a fleeting moment of hope. 20 fathoms, a crewman shouts, yes. 15 fathoms, sweet. What fortune. They're being driven in by the wind to the shore. But all of their hope evaporates as they see by a thin ray of moonlight that the breakers are far from the beach and they know exactly where they are. They are being driven toward the rocky shoals of Cora. Cora has a hidden craggy seafloor waiting at the bottom to demolish them and like so many other sailors before them, drown them in the dark. And so they lower their anchors, and this stops them from being immediately dashed against the rocks. And the soldiers descend below to a watery cargo bay to unshackle the prisoners who now smell and reek of vomit, excrement, and seawater. And the crew isn't sure how far they are from the shore or how close they are to it. And Luke sums up the whole despondent scene in one plain sentence. He says in verse 29, they dropped four anchors, and they prayed for daylight. Have you ever been there? And now they wait. They hold on for dear life and pray that they will last through the night. They pray that they will live to see another day. And they tie themselves to the deck. And all night long, it's quiet except for the storm and except for that creaking mast that sounds like it's about to snap under the force of hurricane winds. And when morning light comes, they will know just how far they are from the shore. But for now, they hold on for dear life and they just pray that they will see the light. And not one bit of this, none of it, is a surprise to the sovereign God who has sent them on this journey. Right before his trial in this disastrous voyage, voyage, Paul has heard from God. God told him, you will preach the gospel before Caesar. He has this knowledge, but what he could not know is that that the trip there, that the voyage would be fraught with such catastrophe and calamity. And Jesus never promised us an unimpeded path to victory or happiness. In fact, he promised just the opposite. He says, in the world, you will have trials. You will have tribulation. You will suffer. But take heart because I have overcome that world. One, just because you're in a tough spot doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Listen, just because you're in a tough place in your life does not mean that you are automatically out of God's will for you. I think this is one of the biggest misnomers and one of the biggest myths in the Christian church. Acts chapter 26, verses 31 through 32, it says, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul could have been released. He could have been set free. He could have gone on and planted a lot more churches. He could have had many, many decades 
probably three more decades of fruitful service in planting churches, but this man knew what his calling was. This man knew what God was calling him to do. Chapter 23, verse 11 says, Take courage, for you, as you have testified about me before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. He has heard from God. He knows what God's direction is. And so this impossible situation isn't evidence that he is out of the will of God. Notice that as a prisoner, Paul has no decision-making power at all. What a helpless situation. I mean, at least he's a citizen prisoner, so he can roam about on deck, and he has Julius's ear. Like, he can give him encouragement, which in the story, he most definitely does do. He gives him direction. He gives him encouragement, and Julius doesn't listen to him almost at all. And now it might be true that in your situation, the trial that you're in is a trial of your own making. That might be true. It might be true that you've made some mistakes, that you've sinned, that you were unfaithful, and now you find yourself in a fuming sea that's about to drown you in the dark, and it's your fault. But here's what I want you to know. Whether you are there because you're in God's will or whether you're there because of your own decision-making, listen, you are there, and God knows you are there. And you are not out of the reach of God's grace. Did you hear that? You are not out of the reach of the epic, amazing grace of God for whatever reason. So just because you're in a tough spot doesn't mean you've left the will of God. Number two, sometimes things get worse before they get better, and then they get even worse. Now, some of you are smiling and laughing because you've been there. You bought the T-shirt on this one, haven't you? Notice in the story that the situation appears initially to be friendly. I mean, they catch a nice wind. They're out to blue coastal waters. It looks, everything looks good. And then it turns quickly. And this journey was planned by the providence of God. It just was. And Paul has Julius's ear. Verse 13, it says, When a gentle south wind blew, they thought they had achieved their purpose. Have you ever thought, yeah, yeah, this is my purpose, <laughs> Like, I've got it. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know who I'm supposed to be. I know what direction I'm supposed to go. Things just seem to line up, and then it goes wrong, and you're thinking, what did I do? Did I zig when I should have zagged? Did I, did I step left when I should have stepped right? No, you're still in God's will. Verse 14, it says, but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster whipped up, and we gave way to it, and were driven along by it. Have you ever felt just driven by something? that you can't control. It's out of your control and you don't know what to do except to call out to God. Now, I want to read you Paul's description of this in Corinthians, to the Corinthians. This is how Paul described it. You heard how I described it. Here's how he did. He's, he describes it quite emotionally, actually. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, he says, we do not want you, Corinthians, to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Have you ever despaired of life itself, received the sentence of death? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, so that we might demonstrate by trust in the Lord that God is faithful and true and powerful, who raises the dead, and he has delivered us. Know this, God has delivered us, and he will deliver us again. This is the character of God. He has delivered us from this pain, from this suffering, and the character of God is he's going to deliver us again. God makes good on his promises. 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. I watched my mother cradle her 18-month-old baby girl in her arms. I watched my parents by the roadside scream their pain into the heavens. My little sister had wandered out to the street and she was hit by a car. And just like that, Cherie was gone. Well, the sun might as well have gone supernova because it felt like our lives were over. And my mom will tell you there are times she wanted to be gone too. But she had two little boys she had to feed and bathe and get ready for school and make their lunches. And you know what? She showed up. I don't remember ever a time when my mom got lost in drink or drugs or or anything like that. She was a new Christian. Her faith was new. And if you saw her today as a 75-year-old lady, she would blow your mind. She's just this cute little southern lady, full of the power of God. She's Pentecostal. She will pray the power of God on you, boy. Let me tell you. But I have seen her from that time to this. I have seen her minister to uncountable individuals. The grace and the love and the mercy and the compassion of the Lord. And I've seen her do it in power. The power of a person who's, who's suffered deep pain. And just when life looked like it started to level out for us, she lost my dad. My dad, we were going to church one morning and we were headed to this brand new church uh, that was really exciting and, and we were all kind of getting hungry for God and my dad had just gotten saved and, and my mom's dream had come true. My dad... A rough character by any measurement gave his life to the Lord. And he was waking us up on a Sunday morning, and instead of beating us, he was getting us ready, telling us to get ready for church. I was like, Who is this person? And a few months later, we were on our way. He had gone to work early to put in some overtime, and he was going to meet us at the 11 o'clock service that day. And as we were driving to the 11 o'clock service on Route 250 in Goochland, Virginia, we came over the hill, and there was a big scene of a car accident, and all the ambulances were there, and the, the cops were there, the police cars were there, and they, they gave us the detour around. And it was a horrific scene. I didn't even recognize my dad's car. A semi had crossed the center line and hit him straight on in his 67 Camaro, demolished it instantly. When we got to church that day, we sat there and we enjoyed the 11 o'clock service and someone had told the senior pastor that he was going to have to deliver this news to us right before he preached. He said, that's the hardest sermon I ever gave in my entire life. And so he called us into his office after the service and told us the news and just like that, our lives were over again. And my mother, I listened to my mother. She grabbed me and my brother. We were teenagers by this point, and she pulled us in, and she said, don't worry, boys. Jesus is going to get us through this. And I remember as a kid who just really didn't believe in Jesus, I remember thinking, well, I think I, I might believe in Jesus. Mom's, strong is, mom's faith is strong, and it's powerful. And I just remember thinking, how can she have the strength in this moment to turn to Christ and the most horrific news we have ever received? Dad is gone. And so I want you to know that sometimes things get worse before they get better, and sometimes they get even worse, but turn to Jesus. Rely on the Lord. Lean on Christ. 
and don't give up. That's what Paul is doing. Number three, in the midst of the unthinkable or the impossible, we must keep one ear to eternity. This is a principle I really kind of want to camp out on. Paul and his companions are the only people on this ship who actually can get direction from the Lord because they are the Christians. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Everyone on this ship, for sure, they're religious. And you definitely don't need religion. Everyone on this ship is religious, but there are some people on this ship, Paul, Aristarchus, Luke, his traveling companions, these people know Jesus. And in the midst of stuff, when the stuff is going down and it's hitting the fan, somebody needs to know Jesus. Somebody has to have a heart to the Spirit of God. Acts 27, 23 through 26 says, Last night an angel of, of of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Wow. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Uh, You must stand trial before Caesar himself. And God has graciously given you the lives of all you sail with. So keep up your courage, men, for have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. What a hopeful message. What a hopeful message. God is going to get us through this, and we're going to crash. Now, everyone on the ship is religious, but no, their religion is worthless. Because in the midst of this, when the stuff is going down, when the trial is at your life, when, when you're dangling over the flames, my friend, you need the real God. The real God and his son, his only son, Jesus Christ. And your heart needs to be attuned to his. One of the greatest gifts God has ever given me is the gift of failure. God ever given you the gift of failure? It's the best thing that ever happened to me when I was 29 years old. Is I decided after a string of successful church plants that sort of took off, I was the associate pastor at those church plants, and I decided God has called me to plant my own church. And I did. I planted a church from North Spokane, North Spokane in Post Falls, Idaho. And it failed tremendously. It, it failed gloriously. Here's how it failed. I kind of want to tell you the story. Uh, I was a pretty resourceful young guy. I was also pretty, uh, you can't imagine this now, but I was pretty energetic and pretty, uh, I kind of thought I knew everything back then. I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell now, but (laughs) But back then, man, I was a ball of fire. And uh, so I decided I was going to plant this church, and I took a few couples from our church. We got a bunch more couples from the neighborhood. Things were going really well. I mean, just like that, we had a wind in our sails. We set out for blue coastal waters, and things were looking good until they weren't. We planted that church. We started that church in about April, something like that, or or March. We launched public services in a local school in September, and it exploded. Just immediately, I had about 200 people, and it was great, and things were going along, and it looked pretty good, and then here's what happens in North Idaho. Uh, Pretty much everybody is irreligious up there, and when it hits about June or July, I think right about July the 1st, is when the weather starts getting nice, and the snow kind of melts, and the rain go away, and the clouds part, and then people leave your church. It's the, it's the summer rapture. <laughs> like, they're just gone. You're like, did the rapture happen? 
That's what we were in about 200, 100. We hit about 250. Things were going like gangbusters. By June or July, I was running about 25 people. I'm not kidding. Because you got two issues up there, pressing issues. One, you have a very narrow window of time. You and I don't have that here, comparatively. But you have a very narrow window of time. So you've got to escape the clouds. And you've got to escape the fire like the smoke. So you just have a very, so by the time we would start church again in August, ramping up for September, I had to replant the church. I did that three times. And by the fourth time, I'm looking at the summer, we're running about 350 people in March. And the summer, my coffers are running low. I'm pleading with our people, listen, don't get lost, stay engaged. They didn't. I didn't handle it well. I was immature. And I just said, forget this. God has failed me. And by the time we got to the summer, sure enough, 40 people in the room. And I was, between Carrie and I, we were working four jobs. We're about to bring our third child into the world. And I said, forget this. God is not with me. And I went to work at Dave Smith Motors. And I worked there for two years. And I put food on the table and clothes on my kid's back and a roof over their head. And every single day that I drove over that hill, there's a pass there, it's called Fourth of July Pass, and I would drive over it twice a day to work, back from work. And for 45 minutes, I just prayed these robotic prayers that had no heart, no spirit, no passion, nothing inside. And I would just say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Uh, please forgive all my enemies. Uh, I forgive them. And I would just pray these robotic rote prayers. But I was faithful. I did pray those prayers. And I was so miserable and so dejected. I had lost my church. I had to close the doors. And now I'm selling cars. I went from preaching the greatest message in the history of the world to selling the greatest depreciating asset in the history of the world. Are you kidding me? And I was angry and resentful and depressed. And I wanted to quit everything. And I was driving over the hill one day, and I got right over the top of the hill. And as I was coming down, I was praying this robotic prayer, this rote prayer. And suddenly, the sweet presence of the Lord invaded my car. And the sovereign God had an appointment for me that day. And it turned me completely around. I confessed my sin. I confessed my hatred for people who had sinned against me. I confessed my anger and my resentment. And it was almost like I became born again again. It was just powerful. I had to literally pull off the side of the road and just pray that prayer in tears. I don't even know how long I was there. I got back on the road. That Sunday, my senior pastor came up to me. He said, Jeff, it's time for you to be done selling cars. I want you to come on staff. And I said, nah. <laughs> I'm good. But in, inside, I was thinking, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do anything else than sell cars. But I really had to go back and ask myself the question, is God leading me this direction? And it turns out he was, but he was leading me the long route. He was leading me a difficult route because it was building my character, because it was doing something to me that God couldn't do through me until he had done it. And I did not manufacture the presence of the Lord in that car. I did not determine what God said. I did not determine God's direction. I didn't determine what he did. The sovereign God of the universe had that date on my calendar. But I was, I was open. My heart was still open. My ears were still attuned to the spirit of God. And so in the midst of it, 
We need to keep one ear to eternity, to listen for God's leading and his comfort and his direction. And so we tie ourselves to the word and we hold on for dear life. As verse 29 says, we pray for, dead, for daylight. Number four, take the time to care for yourself in the midst of exhaustion. Take the time to care for yourself in the midst of exhaustion. Look at verses 33 and 34. This is just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food, and you haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Folks, we need to take the time to care for ourselves in the midst of calamity, in the midst of the pressure and the stress. Paul recognized that the men on that ship had been so terrified by their situation, so preoccupied with the challenge that threatened their lives, they forgot to eat and take care of their hearts, of their bodies, of their life. But in the midst of the battle, you must practice self-care. Take the time to exercise, to eat well, to clear your mind, to de-stress. You need prayer, but you don't just need prayer. Your mental state, you need to be healthy. Do you know how Hitler lost to the Red Army? One of the ways in which he lost to the Red Army in World War II, as he and his troops were trying to push further into Russia, they overestimated their abilities. They were arrogant and their expertise, and their ambitions got the better of them. And they got bogged down, literally stuck in heavy snow and muddy terrain. And the supply trucks could not resupply them. Listen, any army that cannot be resupplied cannot win. And you're a soldier in this army. You're a member in this family. And if God can't resupply you, you can't win the battle. Take the time to, to call out to God and to rely on heaven's storehouses and the storm, if the storm doesn't kill you, listen, the exhaustion will. If the storm doesn't take you out, the exhaustion of dealing with it will. Next, number five. God makes good on his promises and uh, his, on, his own way and timing. So God makes good on his promises in his own way and timing. What Paul said to those Corinthians was this. Listen, we went through a distress that was so depressing that, that we got up every day and we just despaired even being alive. We despaired just being alive. We despaired just facing another day and more pain. My mom said this after she, we, she lost uh, Cherie. She said, the thing that you guys didn't see, you saw my faith, you saw my trust, you saw my strength in the Lord. But what you didn't see is that every day it just hurt to breathe. I'll never forget her telling me that. Every day it just hurt to take another breath. That's how deep the pain was. And so when you find yourself in a situation like this, every day, folks, we must be reminded that God is going to make good on his promises. He will do so in his timing and at a, a time and, and in a way of his choosing. Look at what it says in verse 39. It says, when daylight came. That's the best line in the whole story. Daylight finally did come. And the soldiers wanted to go down and kill all of the, prisoner, uh, the prisoners below deck. They wanted to kill them. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, and he kept them from carrying out their plan. Verse uh, 39, it says, uh, He ordered those 
who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship, and in this way, everyone reached land safely. And the purpose of trials is not to keep us in a never-ending storm with no end in sight. God loves to bring relief to his children in unexpected ways. And the way of salvation God has provided in this story is a broken ship, broken pieces of it, torn apart by the storm, shredded. And that's exactly what they go floating in on. Let me ask you, what have you had to float in on? What dream did you have about your marriage, about your kids, raising your kids, or about a relationship or about a career that frankly got shredded, broke apart? Are you still moving towards God's purpose for your life? I can, I can just give you one of mine. It's very sensitive, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, when my kids were little, um, I liked being the dad, and I think I was pretty good at being the dad of little squirrely kids. I, I liked coming home every night uh, from whatever stress I was dealing with and putting down my bag and walking into a house where there was, it, 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 that was just buzzing like a beehive. Like kids up talking my wife's ear off and other kids just playing with toys in the floor. I loved being that dad. And I would sneak into the house and before long, they would discover that I had snuck into the house and all four of them just would jump on me and drag me to the floor and we would just play games for an hour before, before dinner was ready. And it was great. I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed that for two reasons. One, because I was the center of their solar system. I liked being the center of their solar system. I liked being the God of the home. And what I mean by that is I just liked coming in and, and I loved having little Hayden, little Hayden. He always loved to talk my ear off about everything that he was learning. And he would sit right here, just right here on my, uh, either my leg or my arm and tell me everything he knew about dinosaurs or everything he knew about cars, everything that he had learned that day. And I just loved that. And my son Tyler was all about Star Wars. And if it was start, he knew it. He knew all of it. And he would come and he would chat and he would talk me to death. And finally, when I finally got those boys and my little girl into bed, I was exhausted from them talking me to death. And I loved between eight and midnight, just the quiet. I loved it. I loved the commotion, but I also loved the quiet. And I had a fantasy that those little kids, when they became teenagers, would be exactly the same people, just in bigger bodies. Now, let me tell you, I love watching them become independent. I love watching them learn how to drive so they can drive me around. I, I love watching them work jobs. I'm so proud of them for their work ethic. They have such a strong work ethic, and they love the Lord. And I've, there are things about them growing up that I'm telling you, there are payoffs. If you have little ones in the house, you don't even know is coming. It's great. But I was operating under a fantasy. I thought they would just be the same little children who wanted to talk my ear off about everything they knew and everything they learned, and that I would just be the wise sage of the home. And as soon as they turned 14, I haven't heard from them since. <laughs> well, that was a dream I had. And for now, that dream is gone. It didn't turn out that way. But I still have influence. God is still moving me in the direction of being an influence and being a godly mentor and a leader and a coach and a shepherd of their lives. Let me ask you, what dream have you had for your marriage, for your career, whatever it has been, that just got broken apart in the middle of the sea and now you feel like you're floating in on broken pieces? Listen, keep, keep going. Keep floating. Don't stop. Eventually, God does deliver us. 
He does come through. He does bring relief and healing and hope, and he answers prayer. God answers prayer, but God is also still the sovereign God of the universe. We don't tell him when and how he answers prayer, but he still answers prayer. In some way, sometimes the only way you can experience salvation and relief is to come floating in on pieces of something you thought God was supposed to do for you, a person you thought you were supposed to become. Listen to me. Barely making it is still making it. it. It's still a win. Take it. I wish Jesus would end every challenge that I face the minute I face it. I wish he would just step in out of eternity and say, ah, ah, ah. I'll handle that. <laughs> Great. But he doesn't. He always leads me this path. And God pours out his abundance on our lives, but oftentimes God leads us to our destination through hard times. So let me ask you some questions this morning, some application questions. When calamity strikes, do you tend to immediately think you're in sin or that God is displeased with you? Now, you might be in sin, and God might be displeased with you. But is that where you automatically go? Or do you think, hey, man, I I am being faithful here. Yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace, No doubt about that. But I'm being faithful to the Lord, and I feel like I went in the direction that God told me to go, that God is leading me. Things were confirmed. I'm there. God, what have I done to bring this calamity? Nope. Sometimes things happen, and you're right in the middle of God's will for your life. Number two, when things go from bad to worse or even worse, how do you cope with that? May I suggest that you take refuge in Jesus, your only hope? I suggest on a daily basis that you get up, and even if it feels like a rote prayer, even if it feels somewhat robotic, you get up, and every single day you open your ear to eternity. You open your heart to the Spirit and His leading, and you say, God, I don't feel very passionate about you right now and about your word, but I confess all that is in my heart. And you connect with the Lord and wait for His timing. Number three, is there something you thought you were supposed to do Is there something you thought you were supposed to do? Is there someone you thought you were supposed to be by this point in your life and it hasn't materialized, at least the way you thought it would? What pieces of broken dreams or broken promises or broken ambitions or or goals that you have do you find yourself floating in on? You're not alone. And number four, How are you taking care of yourself in trying times? How are you taking care of yourself in the midst of this? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, right? How are you doing that? Will you pray with me? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Will you bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just thank you. We thank you. For this word. We really thank you for this example because, Lord, it shows us, it just shows us such a clear picture of what it's like to go through the things that you lead us through. And, Lord, we need your direction. We need the assurance of knowing that we're going to end up where you say we're going to end up. And we also need your comfort and your presence in the midst of it. And so, Lord, would you help us with that right now? And if you're here this morning and you're just dealing, you're dealing with something, frankly, it's a heartache. It's a heartbreak. Your marriage didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Your career didn't go the way that you thought it would. 
Would you just confess that to the Lord? Just say, God, you're all I need. And in the midst of this, what I really need is your presence, your abiding, transcendent presence. And God, I thank you for the opportunity of being able to do everything that you called me to do. And no, I didn't have all my dreams and fantasies in life. I didn't check every box that I wanted to check. But I am faithful to you. I remain faithful to you. And God, would you use my life? God, would you take the experiences that you've walked me through in faithfulness and would you help me to minister and serve someone else with it? To bring the comfort that you've brought me to them. Help me to do that, Lord. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We are going to close our time with a prayer. We're going to sing it. And I encourage you to engage your heart. Sing it with all your heart. strength within the sorrow there is beauty in our tears and you meet us in our morning with the love that casts out fear you are working in our waiting sanctifying us and beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Praise you, God. Thank you. You are wisdom unimagined Who could understand your way Reigning high above the heavens Reaching down in endless grace You're the lifter of the Lord Passionate and kind You surround and you uphold me And your promises are my delight Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood you're faithful forever, perfect in love. 
the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Even what the enemy just the voices. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Lord God, we rejoice in that fact that even what the enemy means for evil, even that which looks like it is intent on destroying us, you turn it for our good and for your glory. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. A couple things before you go. Thing number one, there will be people down here to pray for you. If you are going through a season where it looks like your ship is coming apart, let people pray for you. Thing number two, out in the Grand Hall, there are some refreshments for, for people. We're just to celebrate Veterans Day. If you're a veteran, there's some coffee vouchers for you. Um, and finally, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. And keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace as you go from this place. We love you and we will see you next time.